0: My Favorite theorem. I'm a podcast about mathematics and all kinds of crazy stuff, and I have no idea what it's going to be today. It is a tale of two uh, very different weather formats today. So I am uh, Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. Here is your other host.
1: Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah, where um, I am using the heater on May 28th. Yes, and <laughs> so, <laughs> it's 100
0: degrees in Gainesville today, and I'm miserable. So this is yep. this is bad news anyway. So uh today we are pleased to welcome Judy Walker. Judy, why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Well, hello, thank you for having me. I'm Judy Walker. I'm a professor of mathematics at the University of Nebraska.
0: And what else? You're like
2: I am, I, and I am Associate Vice Chancellor for Faculty and Academic Affairs, so it's like Vice Provost for Faculty. That sounds... Yeah, that does sound very official. No, right. It does sound very official, doesn't
0: it? That's right. Like, you're, you're weighing, like, T&P decisions in your hands. Like, this person, it's like, you're like Caesar, right? With the thumbs up and the...
2: I have no official power whatsoever. Mm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 But, yes. Yeah. But, well, your power is to make sure procedures get followed, Right
2: yes and i have a lot of i have a lot of influence on on other things yeah right yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah. that's yeah that's that that sounds like a very challenging job so uh but and uh, for what it's
2: worth i will add that it is cloudy and windy today but i think we're supposed to be like 67 degrees so right in the middle
0: all right great okay perfect so i mean (laughs) if we could see the map of the u.s there'd be these nice isoclines and here we are right so (laughs) Mine is very hot, mine's red, so we're good. Anyway, we came to talk about math. You're excited to talk about math for once, right?
2: Exactly, (laughs) yes, Yes. although I guess I'm kind of gonna be talking about engineering too, so.
0: That's cool, we like it all here. So what's your favorite theorem?
2: So my favorite theorem is the Svassman-Vladut-Zinc theorem.
0: Okay, that's a lot of words.
2: It is, well (laughs) it's a lot of names, it's three names. And it's a theorem that um, is in uh, error-correcting codes, algebraic coding theory, and mm-hmm. it is—it's my favorite theorem because it solves a problem or maybe not solves a problem but shows that something's possible that people didn't think necessarily was possible and the way that it shows that it's possible is by using some pretty high powered techniques from algebraic geometry which had not previously been brought into the field at all.
1: So what is the basic setting like what kind of codes can you correct with this theorem? Right. So so the (laughs)
2: codes are what what does the correcting. We don't correct the codes, we, we use the codes to correct. So um, I, I used to tell my, actually my advisor told me and then I've told all my PhD students that you have to have a sentence that you start everything with. And so my sentence is whenever information is transmitted across a channel, errors are bound to occur. So that is the setting for coding theory. You've got information that you're transmitting. Maybe it's pictures from, um, from a satellite or maybe it's just storing things on a computer or whatever, but you're storing this information and when you, or you're transmitting this information and then on the other end, or when you retrieve it, there's gonna be some mistakes. And so it's the goal of coding theory to add redundancy in such a way that you can find those mistakes and fix them. Okay, and we don't actually consider it an error if you fix the mistake. So an error is when so many mistakes happened in the transmission or in the storage and retrieval that what you think was sent was not what was actually sent. If that makes sense.
0: Sure, okay.
2: So okay. That's, that's the basic setting for coding theory and coding theory kind of started in 1948 with Shannon's theorem. Right. So Shannon's theorem says that reliable communication is possible. So what it says really is that whatever your channel is, whether it's transmitting um, satellite pictures or storing data or whatever, whatever your channel is, there's a um, kind of maximum efficiency that's possible on the channel. And um, what, so what Shannon's theorem says is that for any efficiency up to that maximum and for any epsilon greater than zero, you can find a code that, ha- that is that efficient and has less than epsilon probability of error. Right, okay. meaning probability that what you sent um, is not what you think was sent at the end. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's Shannon's theorem, right? So that's a great theorem. It's yeah, not yeah. my favorite theorem. Um, <laughs> it's it's um, it's not my favorite parent theorem because it actually kind of bothers me. So <laughs> so the th-
0: wait, why does it why does it bother you?
2: <laughs> yeah. So the reason it bothers me. Are, are, there's two reasons that it bothers me. One is that it doesn't tell us how to find these codes. It says good codes exist, but it doesn't tell right. us how to find them, which is kind of useless if you're actually trying to transmit data in a reliable way. And, but it's actually even worse than that. What, it's, a, it's a probabilistic proof. And so it doesn't just say that good codes exist. It says they're everywhere, but you can't find them, right? So it's like it's taunting mm-hmm. us. Right. So I just, I really, yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's, that's Shannon's theorem and that's why it's not my favorite theorem, but what it, what, what is, what, what, why it's a really great theorem is that it started this whole field, right? So the whole field of coding theory has been, um, or of channel coding at least, which is what we've been talking about is, is to find those codes and not just find them but find them along with efficient decoding algorithms for them, and so that's Shannon's challenge: is to find to find the good codes um, with efficient decoding algorithms for those good codes. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's 1948 that that started. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, just as a as a digression, let me say that most mathematicians and and engineers will agree that at this point in time, so a little more than 70 years after Shannon's theorem, that um, Shannon's challenge has been met, right? So that we can find these good codes. They're not gonna agree on how it's been met, but they'll all agree that it has been met. So on the one hand, in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, um, engineers found turbo codes and they rediscovered low-density parity check codes. Mm-hmm. And these are codes that in simulations come very, very close to meeting Shannon's challenge. Okay. Right? Um, the theory around these codes is still being developed. So the understanding of why they meet Shannon's challenge is still trying to be solved. Um, but... The engineers will say that that it's solved, right? That that Shannon's challenge is met because they've got the simulations, and they're so confident about it that that these codes are actually being used in practice now. So I have a
1: naive question, which is
2: like, does the existence
1: of us talking over the internet on on this call sort of demonstrate that this is this has been met? Like we we are hearing each other, I mean, not with perfect fidelity, but like we're, we're able to transmit messages. Is that, or is that just not even in the same realm?
2: No, that's exactly, exactly what we're talking about. Okay. Exactly what we're talking about. And not only that, but I don't know if you've noticed, but every once yeah. in a while, Kevin gets a little glitchy and he doesn't move for a while. <laughs> that's the well, code uh, catching up and fixing the errors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the irony is this, this call has been very glitchy for me. So, right. Uh, <laughs>
2: right. Right. Which is, why, which
0: is why we each record our own channel.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, exactly. So, um, in right. fact, low density parity check codes and LDP, LDPC codes, or sorry, low density parity check codes and turbo codes are being used now in mobile phones, in satellite communications, in digital TV and in Wi-Fi. So that's exactly what we're using. Okay. Um, but the mathematicians will say, well, it's not really. We're not really done because we don't know why. We don't really understand these things. We don't have all the theoretical underpinnings of what's going on. A lot of work has been done, and a lot, a lot of that is there. But it's still, it's still a work in progress. Um, about ten years ago, kind of on the flip side, polar codes were discovered. And polar codes are the first family of codes to provably achieve capacity. So they actually provably meet Shannon's challenge, solve Shannon's challenge. But at this moment, they are unusable. There's still a lot of work to understand how we can actually use polar codes. So the mathematicians say, we've met the challenge because we've got polar codes, but we can't use them. And the engineers say, we've met the challenge because we've got Turbo codes and LDPC codes, but we don't know why, right? And I mean that's an oversimplification, but that's kind of the current state, the st- current state. And um, so different people are working on different things now. And of course, there's other kinds of coding that that aren't, that isn't really um, channel coding. That there's still all kinds of unsolved problems. So if anybody tells you that coding theory is dead, tell them they're wrong. Okay, still very much alive <laughs> okay so so we talked about shannon's theorem from nineteen forty eight and we talked about the current status of coding theory, and my favorite theorem, this bosman Bladu zinc theorem, is from nineteen eighty two so okay. in the middle, A- halfway of, in between right. yes, right. yes, right. just <laughs> like my weather being halfway yes. in between yes um, so Around this time, um, in the early 80s and, and preceding that, the way that mathematicians were approaching Shannon's challenge was through the study of linear codes. So linear codes are just subspaces, and we might as well think of the... So, so the in, in a lot of applications, the data is zeros and ones, mm-hmm. but let's go to FQ instead of just F2. So Q is any prime power.
0: Okay. So we're doing algebraic geometry now. Right.
2: We're not yet. <laughs> right now we're just talking about finite fields. Okay. We will soon ta- be be doing algebraic geometry, but not yet. Okay. Is that You're okay? We're really just trying to to transmit some finite set of characters. Yes. Yes, some finite string of characters. Order matters, right? So it's a string. And so what we the way that we think about it, we can think about it as a systematic code so the first k characters are our information and then we're adding on n minus k redundancy characters that are computed based on the first k. Okay. Right. So if we're in a linear setting, then this collection of code words that include the information and the redundancy, that collection of code words is a subspace, say it's a k-dimensional subspace of fq to the n. So that's a linear code. And we can think about that ratio k over n as a measure of how efficient how, how efficient the code is. Okay. Right? Because it's the number of information bits divided by the total number of bits or symbols or, or characters. So um, let's call that ratio R for rate, right? K over N, we'll call it R. And then how many errors can the code correct? Well, if you look at the Hamming distance, so that's the number of characters and number of positions in which two code words differ, right, then the bigger that distance, the more errors you can make and still be closest to the code word that was sent, right? So then that's not really an error, right? So maybe if we say the number of mistakes goes up, right? Yeah. So um, again, let's normalize that minimum distance of the code by dividing by the length of the code. So we have a ratio, let's call that delta. So that's our relative minimum distance for the code. So one way to phrase this is if we want a certain error correcting capability, so a certain delta, how efficient can the code be? How big can R be, right? Okay, so there are a lot of bounds relating R and delta, our information rate and our error correcting capability or our relative minimum distance. So one that I wanna tell you about is the Gilbert-Varshamov Bound. So the Gilbert-Varshamov Bound is from 1952, and it says that there's a sequence of codes, or a family of codes, if you want, of increasing length, increasing dimension, increasing minimum distance, so that the rate converges to R, and the minimum distance converges to delta, and R is at least one minus HQ of delta, where HQ is this is this uh, entropy function, right? So you maybe have heard of the binary entropy function. There's a Q area entropy function. That's what HQ of delta is. So um, one such sequence is the um, so-called classical Goppa codes. And I want to say that that's from like 1956, so just a little bit later. And... Those codes were the best known codes from this point of view for about 30 years. Okay, so let me just say that again. So the Gilbert-Farshimov Bound says that there's a sequence of codes with R at least one minus HQ of Delta. The Goppa codes satisfy R equals one minus HQ of Delta. And for 30 years, we couldn't find any codes with R greater than that were better than that one, right? Yeah, that were be- greater than this one minus H Q of delta. Okay. So, people at this point were starting to think that maybe the band, or sorry, maybe the Gilbert-Vershaw bound, wasn't a bound as much as it was the true value of how good can R be given delta?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Right. How efficient can codes be given given their relative minimum distance? So this is where the spassman blood zinc theorem comes in. So um, in 1978, and Kevin, now we can talk about algebraic geometry. I know you've been waiting for that. All
0: right, awesome.
2: Yes, right. So in 1978, um, GAPA defined algebraic geometry codes. So the way that definition works, remember, a code is just a subspace of FQ to the N, right? So how are we going to get a subspace of FQ to the N? Well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a curve defined over FQ that has a lot of rational points, FQ rational points, right? So we're gonna take one of those points and make take a multiple of it and call that our divisor on the curve. And then we're gonna take the rest of them and we're gonna take the rational functions in this space L of D, D is our divisor, right? So these are the functions that only have poles at this chosen point of, of uh, multiplicity at, mes- at most the degree that we've chosen. Okay. And we're gonna evaluate all those functions at all the rest of those points, okay. right? So remember those functions form a, vi- form a vector space, and evaluation is a linear map, so what we get out is, is a vector space, so that's our code, mm-hmm. right? And if we make some assumptions, so if we assume that that degree of that divisor, so that multiplicity that we've chosen, is at least twice the genus minus two, the genus of the curve, twice the genus of the curve minus two, then Riemann-Roch kicks in and we can compute the dimension of L of D, right? But if we also assume that um, that degree is less than the number of points that we're evaluating at, then the map is um, injective. And so we have exactly what the dimension of the code is. The dimension of the code is the degree of the divisor, so that multiplicity that we chose, plus 1 minus the genus. And the minimum distance, it turns out, is at least the degree of the divisor. Sorry, is at least n minus the degree of the divisor. Right? So, oh, okay. lots of symbols, lots of everything. Yeah, trying to hold this all in my mind I without writing it on the board for me. I guys. know. I'm sorry. Yeah. But when you put it when you put it all together and you normalize out by dividing by the length, what you get is that if we have a family of curves with increasing genus and an increasing number of rational points, then we can end up with a family of codes so that in the limit r our information rate is at least one minus delta that's that relative minimum distance minus the limit of the genus divided by the number of rational points okay so g and n are both growing and so what's that limit so so that's that was gapa's contribution i mean not not his only contribution but that was that's the contribution of gapas that i want to talk about is just that definition of algebraic geometry code so it's a pretty cool definition it's a pretty cool construction it's it's kind of brand new in the sense that nobody was using algebraic geometry in this very engineering motivated piece of mathematics. Right? right? So so here is here is algebraic geometry, here is a way of defining codes and the question is are they any good? And it really depends okay. on what um how fast can the number of points grow given how fast the genus is growing. Right? Mm-hmm. So, what Drinfeld and Vladut proved, so this is not the TVZ theorem, not my favorite <laughs> theorem, but one more theorem to get there. Drinfeld and Vladut proved that, um, that if you take, if you define NQ of G to be the maximum number of FQ rational points on any curve over FQ of genus G, then as you let G go to, go to infinity, and for a fixed Q, the limit superior, the limb sup, of the ratio G over NQ of G is at most 1 over root Q minus 1. Okay. Okay. Okay? Fine. Why do we care? Well, what we care, well, the reason we care is that the spasson vladut Zinc theorem, which is, again, my favorite theorem, it says, so actually my favorite theorem is a corollary of the spasson vladut theorem. <laughs> So the Spassman-Vladut-Zink theorem says that if Q is a square prime power, then there's a sequence of curves over FQ of increasing genus that meets the drinfeld vladut bound Okay. Okay? So the drinfeld vladut said said you can be at most this good, and Spassman-Vladut-Zink says, hey, you can do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay? It's sharp. So if we, if we put it all together... Then the gilbert varshamov bound gave us this curve, right? So it was a concave up curve that intersects the vertical axis, which is the R-axis at one, and the horizontal axis, which is the delta axis at one minus one over Q, right? So it's this concave up thing that's just kind of carving out, right? Then the Svasson-Vadut-Zinc line, um, the, the, the theorem gives you a line that looks like, r equals 1 minus delta minus 1 over root q minus 1. All right, so it's just a line of slope negative 1, mm-hmm. right, with y-intercept 1 minus 1 over root q minus 1. So the question is, does that line intersect that curve, mm-hmm. right? And turns out that if you have q at least, a square power, square prime power q at least 49, then the line intersects the curve in two points. Okay. okay. All right? So what that is really doing for us is it's telling us that in that interval between those two points, we have an improvement on the Gilbert-Varshamov Bound. We have better codes than we thought were possible All right. for 30 right. years. Wow. So, okay. Yes. So that's, yeah. my, that's my favorite theorem. Nice. I learned a lot. And where did, you,
1: uh, where did you first encounter this theorem? In
2: graduate school.
1: Okay. okay.
2: In graduate school. Um, which was not in 1982. It was substantially after that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was it was it was said to me by my advisor. I think there's a connection between algebraic geometry and coding theory. Go learn about that.
0: Oh. And I oh. said, so then, okay. So two years later. Yeah. yeah right. Right. <laughs> right. Right.
2: Right. 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 Actually, two years later, I graduated. Okay.
0: All right. So. The, the, you're yeah. much faster yeah. than I am. Yeah. No.
2: <laughs> well, there was four years before that of oh, sure. of doing other things. So was it kind of a love at first sight theorem? Very much so. Very much so because, I mean, it's just so beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's here's this problem that, that nobody knew how to solve or maybe everybody thought was solved because nobody had any techniques that could get any better than the Gilbert Varshaman bound. And then here's this idea just... Way out of left field saying, hey, let's use algebraic geometry to define some codes. And then there's a, hey, let's look at curves with many points. And hey, that ends up giving us better codes than we yeah. thought was possible. It's, I mean, it's really, really pretty, mm-hmm. right? It's it's why mathematicians are better than electrical engineers. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, shot right, I know. Gauntlet <laughs> thrown, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. But it does make you wonder how many other things in math will eventually find something like this. Like, will will we find for these problems, you know, factoring integers or things like this that we think are difficult? Will will someone swoop in with some completely new thing and throw it on its head?
2: Yes, exactly. 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 Well, I mean, and, and I don't know anything about it. Kevin, maybe you do. But the idea that... that um algebraic topology, right, is useful in big data. Oh, yeah,
0: sure, that's that's what I've been working on lately, yeah, right. I love that. Yeah, sure. I love yeah. that, I
2: don't know anything about it, but I love it, well, I love well, that. The,
0: the mantra is data has shape, right? So so, let, oh. so so let me just, you know, smack the statisticians here, right? So they, they they want to put everything on a straight line, right? But a circle isn't a straight line, so what if your data is a circle? And topology is very good at finding circles. So. Nice. So, yeah, so that, that that's, that's the mantra, at least. So, yeah. Yeah, so all these unexpe- unexpected connections really do come up. I mean, it's really, that, that's part of why we keep doing what we're doing, right? I mean, we, we love right. it, but we, we never know what's out there. It's, you know, uh, to, to boldly go where no one has gone before, right?
2: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And Evelyn, it's funny that you should bring up factoring integers because, you know, the, the, the form of cryptography that we use today to make it safe to use our credit cards on the internet, that's very much at risk when quantum computers are developed. Yep. Right. Um, So it turns out that algebraic geometry codes are not being used in practice because LDPC codes and turbo codes are much more easily implementable. However, one of the very few known um, so far unbreakable methods for post-quantum cryptography is based on algebraic geometry codes. Excellent. Nice. So even if we can factor integers. (laughs) I can still
0: buy dog food at Amazon, right? You
2: can still (laughs) shop at Amazon (laughs) because of algebraic geometry codes. right. (laughs) Yeah. The important thing. That's right. Well,
1: (laughs) so another thing we like to do on this podcast is invite our guests to pair their theorem with something. the way we would pair food with fine wines. So what have you chosen um, for this theorem? So that was
2: very hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the most bizarre request.
0: <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I guess the way that I think about this sauce and blood, zinc theorem, I was looking for something that was just, you know, unexpected and exciting and, and beautiful and, but I couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> and so instead, what I'm going with is um, lemon zest. Okay. Okay. Um, which I guess can be unexpected and exciting in, a, in yeah. a dessert, but also because of the way that you just kind of scrape it off that, that curve of the lemon, okay. right? And that's what the svastin Theorem is doing, <laughs> is it's scraping off a little bit of that Gilbert-Varshamov curve.
0: This is an excellent visual. Okay. I've got it. Right? I, I, I zest lemons all the time. <laughs> I understand now. This is it.
2: Yeah.
1: There you
0: go. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we also like to give our guests a chance to plug anything. You wrote a book once. Is that still uh, right? I have it on my shelf. Yeah. Somewhere
2: um, I uh, did write a yeah. book once. So that book actually was... Um, yeah. So I wasn't going to plug anything, but I will plug <laughs> I will plug the book a little bit, but more I'm going to plug a, a, a suite of um, programs. Mm-hmm. So the book... Um, is called, I think, Codes and Curves. That sounds uh, you you right would think that. I would know that.
0: Well, I'd have to find it, but it is on my shelf, yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, it's on mine too, yep. <laughs> um, surprisingly, which is right behind me, yep. actually, yep. For if you have the video on. Um, so that book was actually, is really just, it grew out of lecture notes from lectures I gave at the um, Program for Women in Mathematics at the Institute for Advanced Study. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I will take my opportunity to plug something, to plug that program, to plug Edge, to plug the um, Carleton program, and to plug the Smith Postback program, and to plug the um, Nebraska Conference for Undergraduate Women in Mathematics. So what do all these programs have in common? They have in common. Um, Two things that are closely related. One is that they are all programs for women in mathematics. And the other is that they were all the subject of study of a recent NSF grant that I had with um, Amy Radinskaya and Deanna Houtsberger and Ruth Mm Haas that studied what are the most important or effective aspects of these programs and how can we scale them. Mm Oh, nice. Yes. And um, some of the results of that study, along with a lot of other information, are on a website that is womendomath.org. Okay. I'm going to be
1: going there immediately after we get off this call. <laughs> right. Awesome. I hope it's functional.
0: <laughs> well, right. And, 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 and because Judy won't promote herself, I will say, you know, she's been a significant leader in promoting programs for women in mathematics through, through the University of Nebraska's math department there. Uh, there's a picture of her shaking Bill Clinton's hand somewhere. Um,
2: well, that's also on my shelf.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, online uh, uh, somewhere too. Right, their, their, their program won a National Excellence Award from the president. Um, really excellent stuff there at University of Nebraska. Really a, really yeah, a model yeah, nationally, I'm, yeah.
1: I'm familiar with that. It's one of the, the best pro graduate math programs for women. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yep. great
0: yeah.
1: job. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll we'll have links to all of those uh, programs on the website. So if you didn't catch one and you're listening, you can uh, you can go to the the website for the podcast and find all those. Yeah. Well, thank you so much
2: for joining us Judy. Yeah, thank great. you for the opportunity. Yeah,
0: this has been great fun. Thanks. All
2: right. Thank yeah. you.
0: Thanks for listening to my favorite theorem, hosted by Kevin Knutson and Evelyn. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Bauchan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk. That's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards. And Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.